Howdy, folks. This is Idiots versus Idiots. I am joined by my co-host, Big Man. Um, on this program, we often make good choices, and sometimes we make bad choices. And one of the good choices that we made was having a guest on, and her name is Terry Toddy McDougal. Terry McDougal. She is a. It was a. It was a. We had a hoot and a half. We talked a little bit about her book, her coaching mm-hmm. business. All of her links will be in the description, as always. We, of course, appreciate Terry for giving us her time. After all, in this life, that's all we got. I And uh, not to mention, I think she regretted it at the end. So, you know, it. <laughs> I think every one of our guests is like, they're all going to pat us on the back to our face and then go, what have I done? Yeah. How, yep, yep. how far uh, I've you, fallen. I'll tell you what, you should enjoy it. And if you don't, um, I really don't care. So uh, watch it anyway. And uh, we'll see you on the other side. For the first time in a long time, I agree with Big Man. If you don't care, I'm just going to tell you what I tell everyone. Screw you and up yours. See you later, folks. Well, folks, with us today, like I said, is our guest, Terry McDougal. Terry, you're kind of a marketing queen. Is that fair? Or how marketing would you queen, this? I like that. That actually is what, that's what's on my business card is Terry McDougal, marketing queen. Oh, well, see, now I feel like I should stand up and bow or curtsy. Which, is it a bow? Is it a curtsy? It's a, wait, my wife and I have been watching The Crown. Is it a head nod? Like, I don't know. What is it? I, I hope you guys studied up on your etiquette. You sure did. Oh, yeah. No, no. Etiquette is out the window if you've got Danny in the conversation. <laughs> so uh, that is that is not. Um, so before we get into all of our insanity, what is idiots versus idiots? So welcome to be, you know. Uh, we're not calling you an idiot today, but uh, you're here with idiots. How about that? But generally That's speaking, fine. I feel good to be among idiots. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Uh, but before we get into our insanity, um, I, there are some things that I wanted to. So, so how we normally do things around here uh, is I'm the nice one, right? And I ask intelligent questions about you. Danny will go into his needy self later, right? So, but we want him. We want you to talk about you at least a little bit. Um, I am also the one that does the research. So, for example, um, by the way, your your book. Um, which is, hold on, I want to get this right, Winning the Game of Work, by the way, right? Um, yep. I, 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 I'm going to order this book and read it because here's the thing. I, I read the prefaces and some reviews and stuff like that, and you talk about something that is actually very personal to me. You talk about that when, I don't know how old you are, and I'm never going to ask that question, but at least me, I'm an old person. Uh, you know, I'm a Generation Xer. Generation Xers were lied to when we were brought up. We were lied to about, you know what I mean, being a well-rounded employee and all this kind of stuff. And the work world, go to work, show up early, do your work to the best of your knowledge, you'll get promotions and you'll get pay raises and you'll get, you know, this stuff. And the world, while we were young, young adults, changed. It really did. Mm-hmm. It changed. And we we weren't able to change with it in a lot of cases. And it's a problem for a lot of Generations Xers. And that's kind of what I got out of the preface and a lot of reviews of your books was there's a different strategy than Generation X, right? The lower end of the baby boomers and even what we call Xennials, right? That Generation X mm-hmm. and Millennials that they didn't yep. get. Am I right? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I think that a lot of uh, people, not not so much my generation, but I think like ones that came after me were like, everybody gets a trophy, right? <laughs> like, just show up and have fun and you're going to you're going to get rewarded. 
right? And and uh, for a lot of people that, you know, they, they learned this whole idea at school that like if you do your homework and you keep your nose clean and you, you're, you're quiet and you raise your hand that you're gonna get rewarded. And quite frankly, that is not the way that the workplace works. And for a lot of us, you know, we were sitting there sort of scratching our heads when the guy down the hall who never shows up to meetings and doesn't return emails or phone calls gets promoted. And you're like, mm -hmm. what the heck's going on here? And, you know, I used to think that it was like favoritism or, or whatever. And as I advanced in my career and I, you know, got mentored by some people who knew better, what I realized was that person that got promoted was probably focusing on the highest value work that he could and was not focused on the little piddly things that the rest of us felt like we had to do in order, you know, we have to check off everything off our to-do list mm -hmm. in order to do a good job. That, oh, by the way, you were told that was the job description, right? Like you were, see, and this is, this is, again, I'm a big advocate of, and, this, and I'm an advocate of anybody that has, that, that teaches this form of information, right? I've traveled yep. around the country, just like you wrote a book several years ago, very real estate related. So I've taught, I've been a teacher, I was a college professor before, you know what I mean? That teacher's mm -hmm. in you or it's not. And I'm a big of the difference between what you're talking about is that person that is a great employee, by the way, right? Shows up early, does everything sure. that they're asked to do, right? Shows up to all the meetings, that kind of stuff. The difference between that and the person that goes along that faster career path track is just knowledge. There's something that my parents were poor people. They taught me to be poor. <laughs> they, I, My mm -hmm. teachers taught me to be poor and taught me sure. to be an employee. And it, it wasn't until I gained more knowledge that I started to excel over and be, I was always good at what I did, right? I was always the best at whatever mm -hmm. job title I had. If, hey, hey, back down. All right, mister, I haven't worked a day in my life. Um, and then, you know, so I was always really good at that. But until I got that knowledge that it's not about being the absolute best at your job, that's not how you get promoted, by the way, because then no, you can't. Not. No, because then they can't afford to lose you out of your position if you're the best at what you do. That's right. Um, that's and right. then uh, so it's it wasn't about that and that knowledge of how you get to that next level and the next level and, and then how you start jumping levels. Right. And stuff like that. And then we get in, you know, talking more into marketing and branding yourself and marketing mm -hmm. yourself and all those kind of little tweaks. But really, first, you got to switch that brain to another gear. And, and let me do. just say this, like as someone who is raised in the everyone gets a trophy generation, yeah. <laughs> watching my peers as adults, like a lot of my peers, we graduated college into the great financial crisis. Yeah. And a lot of my peers graduated with a bajillion dollars in debt. I remember I was talking with a gal and she got into graduate school. And I was like, in New York, I was like, this is going to cost you a lot of money. And she's like, well, I don't really want to know how much it's going to cost. I'll worry about that later. And I yeah. almost what a millennial my... thing to say. What a millennial thing to say. Yeah. I don't so, really know how much it's going to cost, but I'm going to sign. I'm going to so, sign it. And listen, I have grown to, I wouldn't say despise, but that quality that's in my peers that maybe as the child of immigrant parents, I didn't get yep. that. Like everybody's a winner. It was always a very meritocratic, like, don't be, I mean, if I ever came home with a trophy, I didn't earn, which rarely happened. Like, Oh, you finished running the mile. My parents are like, you have asthma. You didn't finish running anything. <laughs> You're putting this in the garbage. Right. 
Yeah, I know it, it, it kind of devalues it in a way. And I, it definitely, you know, causes a lot of people to think that they're entitled to the next level up. And, and you know, I, I actually am uh, right on the tail end of the baby boomers. I mean, it, like if you want to really know, like when I my first job when I got out of college, there was a typewriter sitting on the desk. I had to take a typing test for my first job, even though I had a degree in economics that also that's another that's a whole nother issue but within a few months i had a computer so like basically i've seen all of this grow from like the pre-internet pre-computer age to what we have now and um you know things have have changed a lot uh, and uh i have had some people that have reported to me on teams like where they you know, they come in as the junior member of the team and, you know, they're doing, you know, to put it nicely, they're doing the scut work, right? You know, they're mm -hmm. earning their stripes by coming in and learning from the other people, but they're doing, they're shipping the boxes, they're stuffing the bags for events, whatever it is. And I remember one uh, person and, you know, she'd been with us for like three or four months and she came and she's like, okay, well, I figured out how to do this. I know how to ship the boxes and do all this, like, I'm ready for what's next. <laughs> I was like, this is what's next. Okay. This is a job and this is what we need to do. It's not, you know, the business, you know, like we've got to do stuff and you know, I can't just move you up to the next level because you feel like you're ready for it. And, uh, actually she didn't last that long. Um, you know, well, any, anybody that asks that kind of question doesn't. And, and look, and, and if I had a crystal ball and Danny and I like to do this, obviously this is a, a business and marketing, right? News kind of show. We like to make, you know, irrelevant or, or outlandish claims. Sometimes if I had to guess in the future, I've, I've for years called the contract labor revolution, right? Because I think that if you're the best at what you do, you should get paid like it. And if you're not, you should, there, there's a market for all of you, by the way, if you, if you write books for a living, for example, you should get paid more. If you're really good at it, you should get paid in the middle. If you're not very good at it. And guess what? There are people that will pay you just because you can write a book. You know what I mean? There's a market for <laughs> all of you. And what that does is allow that person that does get paid a lot of money because they're really good at their job to go get another high paying job and not be stuck somewhere or stuck at a certain level of income. Um, I'm a big fan of everybody's income should at least be partially uh, work-based, performance-based, right? That kind of stuff. Because it creates an environment where you've, you've got it. If you're better, you should be paid more and that kind of stuff. But what I think the future holds for the next generation, the late millennials, the Generation Z coming up, is the age of the side hustle. You'll have the work that they do. They went to school mm -hmm. to be a programmer, to be a whatever. And they'll they'll be taught because of the internet and the way that things are, shows like this and stuff like that, to go, hey, you need to have your work you do 40, 45 hours a week, and you need to have a podcast. Or you need to have a, you know what I mean, a network uh, affiliate marketing. Or whatever it may be, that side hustle, I think. And then as it grows, so do you. Right, you'll get more promotions yeah. at work. You'll get more promotions yep. in your bank account because it's not going to happen with just one. It's just, it's just not unless you're the next app developer or the next whatever. You know what I mean? Unless you're playing the lottery. Well, you know the thing is, even about the next app developer, a lot of those guys, those things started as a side hustle, and maybe they had they developed ten apps before one of them, you know, went viral. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I, what you were talking about in terms of like the, the income, you know, that's like basic economics, right? It's supply and demand. People who are more talented, there's going to be more demand for them. And, you know, people that are that are don't maybe have a talent are, are going to do something that's pretty basic. You know, it's going to be more of a commodity type thing, like we just need a body in this role. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I really try to help people with and when I'm working with them on sort of career coaching is to think about, like, what are the things that you do well that are more high value work? And if it's something that you like to do. Like, how do you get credentialed so people understand that they should pay you more for that? You know, how do you position yourself? How do you brand yourself so that you get recognized for that thing that you're good at and you can make more money doing that? Um, I, I think a lot of, you know, I, I loved what you were saying about, you know, people being sort of uh, trained as employees, right? Mm -hmm. And rather than somebody who's like, hey, I'm going to run this business. Um, you know, I think a lot of people really put their, their destinies, their careers in the hand of somebody else. Like, oh, well, you know, I got a job here and now it's up to my boss to promote me. And that's, that's a lot about what I, I talk about in my book. You know, it's like build your network, um, you know, expand your skill set. you know, think, step, step outside the box. Like, think about what else could you do? What do you want to do? What are you good at? You know, how do you package yourself, you know, and, and market yourself like a product, you know, not just like, hey, here I am. You know, I, I'm, I already mastered this. What's next? Well, look, yeah. the, the reality of it is it's still true in 2021, which is hard to say, that most people, and I'm going to apologize for the way I phrase this, but most people still fall back asswards into the job that they have. Right. They got yeah. the first job they got because their mom or dad yeah. worked with the the supervisor of this pharmacy or this whatever. Mm -hmm. Or they were told to go over here. And then, you know, my neighbor over here has a daughter that, you know, she worked at the movie theater first. And then a friend of hers went to Dairy Queen because they paid more. And now she so she went to Dairy Queen and now she's uh, an assistant manager uh -huh. to Dairy Queen at 19. Well, why did mm -hmm. that happen to her and not the person that still works over at the movie theater? Right. Or, yeah. you know, so it you they fall back asswards into these, you know, career paths. Nobody at any level is really figuring out the best violinist in the world maybe have never had access to a violin, right? Yeah, the best programmer in the world may not currently have a computer, right? Or access to one. We, we, have, we have completely skipped over trying to figure out who's actually better at anything and put it all 100% on us as an individual. And hopefully you care enough to figure that out. And what we now know is 80 to 90% of us don't. We find a job that pays us money. If we don't like that job or don't want to do that job for long enough, we go out and we find another job that we follow this person over to that job, mm -hmm. right? And, and yeah. do that for as long as they'll pay us for it, right? And hopefully make more money and that kind of stuff. So it, it really does, and again, going back to your, I'm sure that's what 90% of your coaching is, is, hey, let's actually sit down and figure this out. What are your strengths? What do those strengths actually link to? And that gets back to what we said before. It really is the difference between the people that have gotten to where they want to go, which knock on wood, I'm, I, I, you know what I mean? I got there by, by yeah. learning, but it's that information, how to connect those dots and get to that next level that needs to the next level. And there's a reason people with money raise kids with money because they, because they teach their kids those things that you're not taught. Right? Yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I, you know, the, the thing that I would say also is that, yeah, it's important to look at your strengths and so forth, but it's also really important to think about what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, I, 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 uh, um, Danny, I, let me just finish this thought. Yeah. Um, so the, the thing that I think, and I, I'm so glad that, uh, when I was first starting my career, my boyfriend's mom gave me a book called what color is your parachute. And she said, mm-hmm. do this before you start interviewing or, or applying for jobs. And what I got out of that book was look at yourself. Yeah, look at what your strengths are, look at what your skills are, but also look at what do you like to do? And if you can find that sweet spot between, you know, what do you like to do? What are you good at? And what does the marketplace need? You're gonna be a lot happier than if you're just like, hey, I need a job. Because I see it all the time. People come to me and they've been working in some field for 10 or 15 or 20 years. And they're like, I make way too much money, do anything else, but I really hate my job. And that's a tough place to be. Yeah. And let me just sum up and then, you know, I want to jump into some of these stories we have prepped for you, Terry. Um, I don't feel like my generation was ever asked to be like to peer into themselves, like to ask that Mm -hmm. question about self-awareness. And when you were talking about like they feel entitled, I think there's just a general, and this is, I'm, this is, it it took Gary V saying this to me to my face in 2014, something, 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 self-awareness. I don't remember what he said leading up to it, but it was that one phrase. It was like that scene in the matrix where I took, I took the red pill over the next four weeks. I went through my closet. I got rid of all of the clothes that were black or gray because that's the only colors I ever wore. I, it completely changed how I thought about my business. It changed how I thought about everything because I was like, yeah, if I don't like doing it, it's not who I am. It's out the door. Right. And that was such a, to, to me, it was a revolutionary, like red peeling moment in my life where I stopped being one guy and I started being a completely different guy. Um, and with that, I want to ask you this question. We got in contact with you and we got to know you over an app called matchmaker.fm. Which doesn't mm-hmm. sound like a podcasting help thing at no, all. It, it sounds a little bit like no, I know, it's like a dating site. <laughs> it does. When Danny said, hey, I registered this stuff for a matchmaking.fm, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, he's oh, like, listen, man, I'm married. I was just like, no, no, you don't get it. Um, and there's another website that's similar in nature called Wildcast. And um, my, my thought process or question here is, with Dos Equis, with everything that happened in 2020, do you feel like this this silo, I would call it the a LinkedIn-type silo, where it's a, it's a siloed-type networking website because we can't... Listen, I know Big Man from a networking event. We built a friendship and a business because we were the only two people in the networking event. They're like, we have to stand because these stools are a little shaky. Like, you know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then later found out that we just, you know buy the exact same shirt and the exact same size have the same uh, doctor drive could, the same truck it's trade clothes yeah it's well weird. and you know <laughs> danny's danny's like a hard rash to get away you know what i mean like yeah, once exactly. it's there it's just you know um and so like i was just wondering like how do you feel like this um this siloed networking online do you think it's here to stay or are people like you were saying grow your network do you still think there needs to be that personal um connection you know well, I mean, we're having a personal connection. And uh, I've actually met a ton of people on Matchmaker FM and 
I there the other one that I actually know of is uh, Podbooker, which is similar, and I, I think that those are are really great and they're really targeted, right? Like you know, if you want to be a guest or you have a podcast, that's a great place to go, and they result in a personal connection, right? We're having, mm-hmm. you know, you can have some really open personal conversations on podcasts, and and I love it because. You know, I, I really feel like you get to know people, right? You can you you hear a lot of great stories, you hear people's opinions, experiences. It's, um, I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, and you know, there's other websites out there for creatives to know, and I just think it's so fascinating that I relate it in some way to like dating websites and how, you know, for you for for the people not in my generation, like we went from having one or two choices. That like from match to eHarmony to having a thousand different apps yeah. to, and websites yeah. to choose from. Mm-hmm. And like, listen, I'm a hit on Farmers Only and JDate, and there's a thousand <laughs> reasons why that's hilarious. Um, that's so funny. Yeah. And so I just think that um, there is, so if you're out there, there's such a niche. There's even a Tinder style app for networking, which was out a bajillion years ago, but I think now is going to find a home um and my question or my thought is like what happens to a site like like an app like meetup which was which is acquired by WeWork, um Uh, yeah (laughs) in a in a universe where some of that in-person networking is gone or dead or just we're not going to do it in the future because this is way more efficient efficient right I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, those are things that I'm really uh, curious to see what happens. And I, you know, I, I love kind of like looking down the road saying, OK, well, these two roads seem to be coming together in this certain place. But y- you just never know. Are they going to pivot? Is somebody else going to buy them? Um, will people go back to really wanting, you know, the pent up demand of having to be stuck at home on Zoom all the time? Are people going to go out and, you know, happy days are here again? <laughs> Is it going to be like the roaring twenties, you know, coming out of world war one? I, I, I don't know. I, I actually look forward to going into a crowded bar and having a few drinks with among people that I don't know, you know, (laughs) that it'll be nice to be able to do that. uh, Well, my wife won't let me get away with that one, but uh, yeah, I I do. (laughs) However, agree with uh, the sentiment there. And look, I think again, like we were talking about the future being, you know, contracts and stuff like that. I think as we grow in this information age, niche, whether niche marketing is just where the more value is, right? If podcasters can, like on this site, right, matchmaker.fm, can specifically have a, a place where they can go and only talk to other podcasters. I think, that, look, you already see it in LinkedIn, right? LinkedIn got a mm-hmm. little bit more like Facebook, and now they're starting to get their algorithm more to try and match people that really do have this sense of, okay, y'all are in the same industry. You're talking about the same yeah. things. You're posting about the same things right. and that kind of stuff. I think LinkedIn sees it as well from a business and personal standpoint. The fact is, is that if you want to grow as a podcast, as any form of business, you have to be very niche oriented, right? We live in a world that anybody can turn on a pan, a, a camera, a microphone, pick up their cell phone and record a podcast, record a video. And, and guess what? Yeah. A pretty good one, right? 
So you've yeah. got to be able to find people out there so that you can continue to grow and break through the swarm, right? The swarm, so to speak, and that kind of stuff. So I think uh, you'll. I think you're just going to see more and more um, places or companies like that in the industry to continue to get people to network. Twitter's really trying it right now. If you're on Twitter right now with any kind of podcast, which obviously we have an idiots at idiots versus idiots is our Twitter handle, right? It's um, idiots v idiots. Yikes, uh, dude. What? And no, it's not. I'm the one that changed it. It's idiots versus idiots. No, you anyway. spelled idiots wrong. I had to fix it. This is a nightmare. See, there you Working go. Working with There's you is a disaster. Oh, yeah, whatever. All right, the point is, yeah, I'm the one with the white background. All right, um, but the, the point is, is we're on Twitter, and every day I get notifications off of our Twitter account where we're followed by another podcasting Twitter account that is, you know, essentially an aggregate of podcasts, right? And they're trying to get podcasters mm -hmm. to interact with each other, you know. Yeah. And I, I try to answer some of the questions. I'm like, okay, what's your favorite, you know, who's your favorite inter you ever interviewed or whatever. And they're just trying to get mm -hmm. people to interact, right? And that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, and it's and it's just, and, and guess what? Something like that, especially on Twitter, is not just, I still have, and again, I'm an old person, wrapped my brain around <coughs> the fact that, the the what we do in podcasting and what you do in podcasting we haven't even talked about your po your podcast show as well which i love the name by the way the mambo thank you the, the, yeah. <laughs> marketing um, mambo yeah marketing mambo i like it um that uh that it regardless of where you record or how you record once you put it out there on the interwebs as they say the internet yeah <laughs> that it really can your viewers and your your people can come from anywhere in the world. Like I, I amazing. I know it's, it's so awesome. I, I actually was on a podcast uh, a little bit earlier, right before I got on with you guys with somebody in the UK. I've talked to people in South Africa. I was talking with somebody yesterday in Australia. And I, I really think that because we've been sort of stuck at home and having to zoom that we, you know, very quickly realized, like, well, if I'm zooming, I can zoom with people anywhere. I mean, I right. talked to a lady that was in China this morning about, like, possibly using her VA service, um, which is in the Philippines, by the way. Um, but mm -hmm. it's amazing how, like, the 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 walls and the gates that used to be in place are down, and right. how quickly we've adopted this. Like, yeah, I can meet with the person anywhere. Like right here on my screen. Right. And what's it's cool. What's fascinating to me and part of the reason Big Man and I do this is there is now been such a the, the playing field has been leveled. I'm doing a like, you know, I'm doing a show that is not near the quality, but it's I'm throwing a stone at night, you know, uh, late night comedy television. It blows my <laughs> mind that Jimmy the Jimmies, all of whom I find mm -hmm. infuriating to think about. Um but like I, I'm fascinated that we're all doing the same thing, and the um, you know we're fascinated. I'm fascinated by that concept, you know. Right. So. Well, and and that's why, and we've said this on previous episodes. Danny, Danny, and I did a podcast years ago, and we got off of it because he moved away, and now he's moved back. But getting him to agree that hey, this technology exists, right? 
like he just said i mean the late night talk shows are using the same platforms we're using to do this kind of show (laughs) right and and then getting you know and then you add that to like you're talking about this matchmaker.fm and you can get guests from from like you said all the way all around the world um i never and and look i the big man in real estate, I own part of a, a real estate that we've leveraged this kind of stuff for years to grow, right, and have education and stuff like that. And when I'm sitting there across from someone, we opened up the UK and we opened up Australia and we opened up Puerto Rico and right. And and I can do that from my home in Austin, Texas without, I right. again, I, like I said, I wrote a book and had to travel around the country and you know what I mean? Do seminars and mm-hmm. stuff like that because sure. it was not widely accepted like this yet. And then here we are. If I came out with another book tomorrow, I wouldn't go anywhere. Are you crazy? Right. Not even, right. I wouldn't go anywhere. I would just set up Zoom meetings every Friday for six months and not leave my office, right? Like that's exactly mm-hmm. what I would do, you know? So, but again, to, to bring it back, yes, I think the niche marketing stuff is is not only the future, I think really it is the now as far as where you should be spending your time, whether it's selling a book, there are plenty of places out there that, hey, you know what I mean? Well, let's talk about our books. Let's talk about writing. Let's talk about that kind of stuff. Podcasting, obviously, merchandising, real estate, whatever it is your deal is, there's unique environments out there for you to peddle your goods and make plenty of friends and, and meet people along the way. Well, the, yeah. the question, big man, was uh, niche networking. So you butchered that. <laughs> but sorry, Terry, I interrupted you. But then I have another question for you. I, I was going to say, you know, it's become extremely democratic, right? You got an idea, you can put it out there and you can grow your audience. I mean, maybe it's not going to be a hu- huge audience, um, but it's probably going to be people that are really uh, into whatever it is that you're talking about. You know, if we think back to the old days, like when I was growing up, there were like three TV stations, right? And so everything was like very general, right? They didn't now, now it's like, you know, there's hundreds of outlets you know, between cable and the streaming services and all of that, there's something for everybody out there. Um, so it, it makes it a lot more democratic and, and it makes it a lot easier to be able to find your audience. And, you know, I want to I want to like bring this. I don't know. We'll see, hopefully it'll like fit into what we're talking about here. But I've got uh, three kids and I can remember like when my my sons are 21 and 23 and I can remember when they were like, I don't know, 11 or 12 years old, they had a digital camera and they were like making movies on the digital camera. Mm. And then actually both of them studied film in college. And, you know, people can shoot a a whole movie on their iPhone now. But like when I was growing up, you couldn't do that. You didn't have access to even the equipment, you know, because it wasn't Mm. digital. You needed to like buy film that was expensive. You needed to to, uh, you know, have access access to a camera that was probably thousands of dollars, be able to develop the film. Like, it was very expensive. It was a big hurdle to be able to even do anything. And you didn't have access to information either. Like, you had to, you know, ingratiate yourself to somebody who had the information, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think that, um, you know, part of the reason why kids now are like, you know, maybe they don't respect adults as much is because they don't need them, right? They can just go on YouTube and figure out how to do stuff instead of like asking their parents or listening to their teacher. They're like, I don't need you. I can go on there and learn how to play guitar or, you know, 
watch a video on whatever I'm studying at school that maybe they're gonna explain it better than my teacher did. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it, does, it just makes everything a lot easier and a lot more democratic. You don't need to, you know, right. under Let the control me, you know, of somebody. Right. Let me give you an example. I've been a car nerd my entire life. Um, and I, my parents are immigrants from a country like India, like, you know, South are you America, sure you're countries. trying to say just nerd, right? Did you have to leave the car in there? Or just, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm I just want to be clear with our audience. And, That's, and I remember when I was, right. I had been 14 and I, my, my sister worked at the mall and she took me to the mall to buy me something for my birthday. And there was this DVD called mischief. And it was these guys who basically filmed extremely illegal street races. And, oh, okay. Yeah. And there was another group called super speeders and i'm actually trying to get robbed from there on our show but mm. um what is fascinating to me is as like you know i'm in my 30s i can go on youtube right now and pick between when i say that the quality of the content blows my mind i'm talking like you yeah. know on youtube i can pick between guys who are into diesel trucks or jdm which is the japanese car scene mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. it is and to have that have to for that revolution to happen in my lifetime, like going to a mall, seeing a DVD in a Foot Locker or a Champs, or yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. I think it was it was one of those because I was always kind of a chunky kid, so the coolest thing you could buy me was sneakers, and uh -huh. you know. But it was you know that for that and that what's unfortunate too to kind of you know tie into some of the other things you were saying was that those guys who made those DVDs, it was harder for them to transition into like figuring out how to survive on youtube but they inspired an entire generation of automotive mm -hmm. youtubers now speaking of automotive youtubing and you as the queen of mm -hmm. marketing yep i'm so curious um to get your thoughts on if you saw that general motors after like 70 years or something rebranded its logo for the electric age and i feel like their logo just isn't plugged in okay is it is it is it really a rebrand because because what it is well, they rebranded really? the logo. It's not a rebrand. It's a re. It's a. It's an updated logo, and it looks silly. Yeah, okay. I don't like it. But is it updated? Like it. No, it's still GM. They just made the M small. That's all they did. No, they made it lowercase, and they like. Yeah. I, I I don't like it, and I mean, maybe part of it is because you know I I'm older than both of you guys, and you know I can remember my my parents' car when I was growing up was a Chevy Impala. So like that GM was like on the car, you know, yeah. I, I remember, uh, you know, see, seeing that. And, and to me, I feel like that has meaning. And to me, I feel like it, even though things are evolving and even though Elon Musk is the richest man in the world, mm -hmm. um, I believe the GM still represents American manufacturing might and when I look at that old logo, I, I mean, maybe it's a little nostalgia on my part, but like that means something. And I, I see a lot of like really established brands where they're feeling the pressure from these upstarts. And I think a lot of times like throw away a lot of equity by trying to keep up with the cool kids, you know, and and I I don't I mean, I, I think I read in that article that it took them five months to to do that project that wasn't enough time, quite frankly. I, I don't know why they have, felt the pressure. What could you? What else could you have spent that money on, right? That research time on that whatever, because whatever you ended up without the other end, you got you got hosed for. Okay, I'm sorry. Like what? I 
Yeah, it doesn't have, I, I don't like it. And I also feel like, you know, electric, whatever, like what, what's going to happen after that, right? Like when mm -hmm. it's not electric, I feel like they, they stand for transportation, not, you know, oh, we're, we're rebranding for the electric age. I think the brand needs to be more than, you know, than that. Like the old logo doesn't like have a gas can on it. You know, it's not, uh, I, I think more thought and probably more research should have gone into it. And uh, I don't know, I, maybe I'm not the target audience, but uh, I, I have a lot of opinions about graphic design and logos and so forth. And when I saw that, when I saw that, saw that new logo, I was like, yeah. ick. Well, it does Danny not is, say strength, which Danny I think is that's a, what GM should. Danny is a font Nazi, so, you know, you got you to gotta be careful with his mm -hmm. fonts and stuff like that. I, I'm, like, really, uh, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a font Nazi, but I worked in marketing for 30 years, you guys. Like, yeah. I was thinking about what does this color say? Does oh. this font speak to me? Um, <laughs> and that font does not, not provoking. speak to me. It doesn't well, speak to me. It's so we all y'all both mind. come from it. Y'all both come from it from a right. Like I I get that those are a thing. Like okay, what does the color say to you, or what does the font and the, and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Where I I am more of an analytical thinker. Like like mm -hmm. to me, there there's <laughs> hey you calm down. My, my, I'm an analytical thinker in that I am a numbers nerd. Does this change? Uh -huh get General Motors, a, do they sell a, another car? Do they sell another, right? Did they get the next generation on General Motors because they changed this logo? No, right? So if, if, no. if whatever, I don't know what their thought process was other than sometimes you do things just to have a change or just to update something or just to be, you know, talked about in the, the, the yeah, whatever. Yeah, but listen, this if you're wasn't GM, that. you do not do this. This is like the the new Coke debacle from yes. like, I don't know, the eighties or nineties. Yes. Like if mm -hmm. you are an icon, you don't just be like, we need to update things just for the heck of it. And, 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 and also to me, what it shows though, is that they are worried about their positioning and See, that now they I agree feel with like that. they've got to, they've got to do something. But you know, I actually, it's funny. Cause like on my podcast, marketing mambo, you know, I'm talking to marketers. I'm talking to people who like live, eat, breathe this. And, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot is, or it just tends to come up a lot is that the brand is not the logo. Okay. Like, so right. updating the logo does not really do anything for you. Like you've got to rethink everything. You know, so maybe, you know, I don't know where they're, what they're doing with their electric car lineup and all that kind of stuff, but they've got to rethink everything. I mean, maybe even think about like, how are you selling the cars? You know, you got this Carvana that's like selling men like yes. car vending machines. You know? I've, I've actually worked with Carvana before. Um, and what's, what's fascinating is my generation, I think is moving away from, and I don't think, I don't know that it's necessarily with everything that happened in 2020. I think it put a, it put a big wrench in that. Like, we're not going to own anything. We're going to rent an mm -hmm. apartment and, take yeah. an uber everywhere i think we're i think that changes so much of the psyche and i don't think there is a marketer at a company out there who is contemplating the con long-term consequences of what you know the dosekis and how that's going to impact how i know my friends who have lived in a city their whole life was like i'm getting out mm -hmm. of the city i'm gonna go buy a farm i was like you don't know anything yeah. about farming but 
getting back to this GM thing, here's what I think. I think they're, like you said, they're really concerned about how do they survive. Yeah. Um, and there's, there's a bajillion startups, electric car startups coming out of Asia. And they're really concerned that, I mean, mm-hmm. when I was a kid, talking about somebody driving a Hyundai or a Kia was a hilarious joke. Like it wasn't like, oh, that's a nice, but now it's like, it's, they're nice cars and they, it's, it's in the consideration set when it's time to go buy a new car. And they, they've been really, really smart about how they've overcome people's resistance also like with their, uh, with their long-term warranties, right? Because I, I agree with you, you know, I, I remember when if somebody bought a Hyundai, you'd be like, what? Right. Like they must really be hurting. Yeah. You'd be like, let's right. put together a collection for them or something. <laughs> yeah, right? exactly. So they can get a bus pass. Cause that's the car should have come with one. Well, but, but in the nineties, right. they both did two things. The foreign car manufacturers got better at making cars and mm-hmm. American manufacturers got worse. Right. They're, they're, all of the cars that were made in the nineties, even the quote unquote muscle cars or Mustangs were garbage. They made them as cheaply as they could make them. Right. And, and in the nineties, the especially mid to late nineties, mm-hmm. early two thousands, they made and it, and it, it created an average right of your cars your your general motors went mm-hmm. much better than it, uh, your honda or whatever else and that was a mistake on general motors part ford's part chrysler at the time's part mm-hmm. and then yep. when when the 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 when the market crashed and it did right which was partially caused by leases but they were mm-hmm. losing money on leases all these cars that people were leasing and turning over and stuff like that they were losing money on them hands over fists when they were selling them on the other side when they you know and when and and it goes okay wait a minute we can't just make a car that lasts three or four years and expect everybody to buy them because nobody's doing it now right so they had to right. start making cars but at that point it was too late but i agree with you i don't know look we all know just like coca-cola right we talked about that sometimes big companies that you think oh well they're they're massive companies they must be have eggheads with making all their decisions for them don't always make the best decisions, right? I don't know that General Motors, as General Motors today, should really be scared of Neo coming, you know what I mean? Coming, you Mm -hmm. know, from an Asian country. Or Tesla, for that example. They're different products still. Now, should they be worried them down the line? Should it fear, should it scare them right now? That's more of a psychological question than an on-paper question, right? Well, let me me put it to you this way, and relating it to Coca-Cola and Pepsi. Coca-Cola and Pepsi are the players in beverage, the beverage industry. Sure. There, is, mm-hmm. there is one guy that came in, Red Bull, but what's interesting is those companies literally own everything that you ever drink. Like what they wait yeah. for is they wait for a startup to go out there, start a beverage, find a co-packer. They build the whole infrastructure. They find their niche market. And then Pepsi-Cola comes in or Pepsi comes in and says, we're writing a big fat check. And I think General Motors is like what they what they screwed up was not understanding that the american the consumer at large globally still wants to there is a there is a early first adopter for that jumps on every bandwagon like you know i i always have the newest phone whatever that's that's not mm-hmm. so but that that market is so small and they have to understand that the larger market for them is the general population general consumer is going to go tesla what's a tesla my mother yeah. is a wonderful lady. She's not stupid. Has no idea that she drives a Kia. She just knows silver car. <laughs> so, yeah. like, I, I think to to play to that, like, 
the smartest thing they could have done is they could have waited for one of these other companies to, to pop up and to really thrive and go, listen, you kids know nothing about you get right. tech, but you don't get selling cars. I and still so, think that's what's going to happen. I still yeah, think, that's I think what's Rivian happen. Rivian's deal right now with Ford, even though it got chopped up a little bit. Um, one of the descendants of Ford is on their board. They're going to get swallowed by Ford. Yeah. Right. And yeah. I think, and I think their big mistake, General Motors' big mistake was not they they did this logo rebrand to to, to try and communicate to the mar- the wider market. We are thinking about the electric We're cool. future. We're cool. Exactly. <laughs> when what I want to know is, um, you people actually understand selling cars and 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 infrastructure that goes along with it. Please tell mm-hmm. me you have a better warranty plan than Tesla. Like Tesla's. Right. I, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, I, to me, I feel like it signals uh, like fear in a way because they could have kept the logo exactly the way it is and, you know, focused their investments in different ways and come out with some new cars and so forth. I mean, they've got the balance sheet to be able to do this stuff, right? right. Like even, even if they're, even if like other companies are nibbling around the edges, they're still huge um and they still have the the money to invest uh i i just i i think it's kind of crazy i mean and and having worked in marketing for a long time you know i always say like start with strategy right like changing the logo or coming up with a new ad campaign is not going to do anything right like if if it's not aligned with everything else that's going on and i mean i certainly haven't seen i mean maybe i'm I'm missing something, but I haven't haven't seen any signals in the marketplace that, you know, that they've stepped up and they're they're leading in the electric uh, in the electric arena. And and honestly, changing the logo, I think people are going to be like, what's that? Like, is that a new app or something? I think, you know, and just to kind of wrap this one up, I think their big mistake was I think what this communicated to me as a marketing guy was y'all are scared. And that is not what I want a large multinational to communicate to me regarding right. anything. I am right. a, you know, I used to call myself a Chevy guy. I drive whatever car I buy, but I'm just saying like, mm-hmm. I think what they communicated and they, you know, to, to their point though, they are like, they're, they're saying Cadillac will be all electric by 2035. Mm-hmm. You know, they oh, came cool. out with that, that, you know, Hummer EV thing. Yeah. I think if they had spent more time talking about the technology that they're rolling out, which they are rolling out a ton of it, mm-hmm. I think this story, which is their own fault for doing it, mm-hmm. I think it distracted from the larger point of, hey, we're actually making like groundbreaking fronts on electric cars, but I think they're also betting on a future where how rapidly can you expand electric car infrastructure? Like there are right. still so many unanswered questions of if I got to go from Austin to Dallas and yeah. I have to stop in like Paris, Waco. Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Waco. Paris. I got to stop somewhere to, to gas up and it's going to be two hours to charge. Like, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm taking a truck. With a gas that's, I, yeah. Honestly, that, that's what I, I can remember a few years ago. I don't know. It's been a while since we, we bought a new car, but I remember, you know, my son was probably like middle school or something. He was like, Oh, are we going to get a Prius? Well, I was like, no, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> not getting the Prius. I mean, not that I'm against them, but exactly what you're no, saying. No, I'm against is them. I'm like, uh, well, I kind of like, you know, I don't really fully understand them. I don't know where you're supposed to like plug them in, um, you know. And if I'm driving somewhere, I know how to get gas, 
right? And I, it takes like five minutes to get gas. Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do. And I, and I, it's not a sure thing for me to know that if I'm driving from here to California, that I'm going to know all the places I have to stop to, to charge up. Yeah. Right? It just didn't seem practical to me. So dear GM from idiots versus idiots, spend less time rebranding your logo than like mm-hmm. 15 minutes educating the consumer about how the consumer can consume your product. Right. Which is yeah. an electric yeah. car. Well, and keep yeah. in mind, again, from a marketing standpoint, just like New Coke, they can reverse this at any time, right? They can Teflon they this should. at any time and go like, oh, yeah, well, what we really meant was that was General Motors Electric Division, but where are our other divisions going to keep, right? And, yes, we spent a yeah. billion dollars on it, but we'll just write that off as a loss and go on about our business. So at any time, they could really change directions, go right back to their other logo, just like New Coke did and several other mm-hmm. companies that have made bad, poor marketing decisions that just didn't yeah. test well in the marketplace, even though a lot mm-hmm. of times you you look at it and go, really? Like, how many people did that get through when they at, when they spent the commercial right. dollars? Who was in the focus group? Right? Was it like somebody that already drank the Kool Aid, or right. or mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I also wonder like how many people that were really dedicated GM customers were were in the focus group because you know they they're they're going to be leaving people behind, and I mean maybe part of it is like we don't care because you know, they're going to die off (laughs) and we're we're repositioning ourselves for a younger generation. That company's getting paid too, right? That company that came out with that logo or, or and the company that got paid to shoot the commercial and the company Mm -hmm. that got paid to all the little steps that this took, all of those companies got paid, whether they use this information or not, Yeah, you know, so they're all a cog in that. And, and at some level you think somebody would go, Hey, yo, this is this is dumb, right? And no, we're too far along the process now, Doug. Calm down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been on the inside of those those kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the train gets rolling in a certain direction, and there ain't no stopping it. Uh, One of the biggest be, reasons I no some... longer work in corporate America, right? Yeah, because I yeah I there could might be never... some powerful people that believe that and. You know, and then it, it's just too hard or maybe there were people saying, I don't I don't think so. And a lot of times they get branded, you know, like, oh, you're just a naysayer and this is the direction we have to go in. But uh, I don't know. For my opinion, I don't I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. In my last corporate uh, marketing gig, I was a project manager and like I just knew that the people I worked with, if I ever had a negative opinion, it would come off as like you're just being a downer. So I was like, yeah. everything's fantastic. Yeah. I'm like, let's just sink the boat. I don't care. Um, yeah. You know what? I, I mean, it's so it's interesting. And I mean, not to like get into the whole like diversity thing, but the reality is, and like I thought often in the corporate world that it's not just like diversity when it comes to gender or, you know, race or whatever sexual orientation. Mm-hmm. It's also diversity of thought. Right. And one of the things that I a lot of times was really frustrated by is that you'd be in a meeting and if you did bring up a, a, a different point of view that actually could help the project be better, that if there was somebody that, you know, maybe was a little higher up or there was a, you know, a few people that were a little cabal that like really wanted this to happen, that they would really you know, minimize somebody else's voice rather than being like, well, maybe that person has a point. Right. And we've seen a lot of things that have happened that you're like, really? Like, like the new Coke thing. I'm like, really? 
Like you got a hundred year old company and this is your flagship product and you're going to push it to the side and come out with new Coke. Like who said they wanted that? Right. right. And listen to what you're to, to the point that you're making to every large company, small company. If you're concerned about diversity, I've been brown my entire life. The only diversity that matters is diversity of thought. If you think that it she matters, she was talking about diversity of thought, Danny. Why that's do, what why, I'm, I'm agreeing with. Why does the brown person got to make it about them? Okay, no, come on, <laughs> Danny. She was talking her. about diversity oh. of thought. Go okay, ahead, I'm Danny. I'm agreeing with her, and I'm saying like that is the only thing that matters because I realized that I was, and part of the reason we're doing this podcast is like, I have a I have a wacky sensibility that. I'm only in my 30s figuring out how to bet on myself and not bet on myself, but bet on what I what I think to be is just what I think is going to happen, which is, and listen, as much as that, I, that concept might fail for a lot of people, there was a handful of people who bet against the United States of America's housing market in 2006 and 7, and all of those guys could be off on a yacht somewhere off the coast of Fiji right now if they wanted to because they they put so many dollars in their pocket and so closing this you know this particular subject if you to you know our learning moment the more you know <laughs> if you have a wacky concept or idea at your office you might be better off just saying it and if it doesn't turn out the way you expect you might leave being able to do something better with your time because mm -hmm. you're betting on the the wackiness of how you see the mm -hmm. world and the universe around you. Because if the last however many years have taught us anything is there is a market. We you know there's a there's a saying in the car business, there's an ass for every seat. And that is mm -hmm. uh, that is true of the wider market. And it's only easier now that you can get on TikTok or whatever and find a weird niche and sell them your thing or talk about yeah. whatever or you're a consultant. And you could tell them, hey, nobody wants your dumb new logo. Put out a series of five-minute videos about how electric cars. You shouldn't be afraid of a General Motors electric car for this reason. Uh, mm -hmm. I think back to that clip from Mad Men where he goes, listen, all the, you know, all the cigarettes are the same. They're all in the same process. And the government says you can't advertise uh, for cigarettes or whatever, or the health benefits. And um, the main character goes... Yeah, it's toasted. He's like, yeah, but everybody's cigarettes are toasted. He's like, no. Everyone else's cigarettes give people cancer. Your cigarettes are toasted. Yeah, yeah, General yeah. Motors Don goes, Draper. Yes, Don <laughs> Draper, a, a classic thing. But Great show. Love that show. General love Motors show. should have gone, listen, if you want to go from Chicago to Los Angeles or Houston to Dallas in a Tesla, you might have to wait an hour, but our thing, blah, 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 generator gas jet whatever it is because their volts have right. gas generators right that completely changes the dialogue about about electric it's, cars what are you selling nobody wants to buy a car people want to buy a way to get from here to there you know yeah. I, I was talking with somebody the other day and we were talking about the way that steve, jo steve jobs talked about the ipod it was a thousand songs in your pocket it was right. not an mp3 player who the freak mm -hmm. cares about that right right what do people want? They want music in their pocket. Yeah, yep. that's that's wild. So that's so true. I whenever people talk about Steve Jobs, and this is a caveat, and this is going down a rabbit hole here, but 
I'm such an anti-Apple guy, and as like a graphic designer, marketing person, I'm the only mm-hmm. person in that field that's that hates mm-hmm. Apple. Yeah. So whatever, and the genius of his company, the genius of his branding, all of it cannot be denied. But anytime somebody starts talking about it, I'm just like, ugh, so pretentious. <laughs> I'm just. I kidding. know it's it's always, it's always like the go-to. Yeah. But I will tell you that the first computer I ever bought personally was a Mac, and then you know I work for a bank, and so. Uh, the next computer I got was a PC because back in the day, you know, there wasn't compatibility between Macs and PCs. And I recently went back to, you know, I had an iPhone, I had an iPad, and I recently, uh, last year, uh, when I replaced my computer, I got a um, Air AirBook, mm-hmm. and now I just got the Air. And, and they make it so freaking easy. Everything okay. works together. Uh, yeah, so nice. No, you, you went back to the dark side. No, I'm yeah. sorry. I can't. I, Dan, I, you guys I, kick me no, off. The yeah, no, I'm sorry. Interview kick is over. Interview over. Yo, oh, you're kicked out. Well, okay. okay. We're, we're, we're close enough here. Let's land this plane. Um, two companies are, are setting up for to do an IPO, StockX and Poshmark. And I'm curious as a marketer, do you think that eBay – which was where all of these transactions mm-hmm. were happening. Yeah. But they lost faith in the, the consumer lost faith in eBay because they're like, ah, I might buy something that's fake. So with StockX and Poshmark, I don't know if it's Poshmark mm-hmm. or I might be thinking of Real Real or one of these companies. But the general concept is they specialize in high end couture yeah. goods. That's what Poshmark yep. does. I don't <laughs> think I'm the target market for Poshmark, <laughs> but I bought from that. I have bought from them. And yeah, I, I love that you guys and that article because I uh, have used eBay for a really long time, like even to the point where I remember when I first started using eBay that you would have to send a check ahead of time and then like wait for it to clear and then you'd be like, okay, now I can send this. And then I also remember when, when they got PayPal and I had to wait for them to send me like this, you know, thing in the mail. Yeah. (laughs) You know, with the code. It, like yes. it, just crazy to think. I mean, it's like at least 20 years ago that, you know, since I've been using them and I've sold a lot of stuff, I've sold and bought a lot of stuff on, on eBay. And um, I agree with you. I feel like the quality of what's on eBay has really diminished. Um, I think that there are these upstarts that recognized, you know, people don't want to have to like dig through, you know, 20 pages of like Chinese knockoff stuff. That's not coming from like an individual, right? Like that's one of the things that bugs me is I go and I'm like looking for something, hoping like, oh, well, maybe somebody has like this, you know, this purse that's lightly used that I want. And then I go and it's like I have to go through all these pages of stuff that's not like a real person selling. It's like a seller that's importing stuff from China or something, right? It's not it's not what it's not it's not person to person, uh, you know, and. So yeah, I I um I think that these like Poshmarks and the thread up and the other one that you you mentioned StockX, um, StockX, yeah, yeah that um I think that they sort of like saw the opportunity and came in and like overtook a, a sweet spot, you know. And I think there's like some sneaker ones too. That's like, StockX. Yeah. That's StockX. Okay, yeah, yeah. One of my sons used to be like a, a real sneakerhead. Okay. Um, and uh, and and also, I think um, I think it's I think it's thread up. You actually send your clothes into them, 
and then they'll go through them and, you know, they want to make sure that they're in really good shape, that they're genuine. Um, and if, if there's anything that doesn't meet their standards, they actually donate, donate it to charity. Um, and, and I think that that just provides like an additional layer of confidence that, you know, you really are buying a real designer or, uh, you know, a high-end boutique type piece of clothing and that it's not going to be some knockoff. Yeah, because I know I'm I'm an avid uh, horophile or watch collector, mm -hmm. and the watch collecting community is like we most of us can spot a fake Rolex or a fake Omega mm -hmm. or whatever. But when you get yeah. into some of the older stuff, there are there are so many companies that you know Cal Crown and Caliber is one of them, where you send your your piece to them. They have a Swiss watchmaker look it over mm -hmm. and all this stuff. But I think you know I'm. I, I, I'm nostalgic for the old days of eBay. Um, mm -hmm. I was, I, yeah. I, had, I had actually had started e-commerce back in a jillion years ago on eBay. And I think, like you said, like they're, the biggest place where they screwed up or they missed the mark was when they, they when Amazon became the e-commerce behemoth that it is today, they thought, okay, we're going to try to compete with them, right? Mm -hmm. And instead of trying to be like, okay, how can we be unique in comparison to right. the and I don't know if they could have predicted the coming ubiquity of Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, I think what they could or should have done is been like, okay, we can, because they had the capital to go out and develop a system where we're gonna. How many people do you gotta hire? Not that many. It's probably fifty people to process goods and because and then uh, to make sure they're quality, reliable, and legitimate goods. And um, I wonder if companies like like eBay is should go acquire some of these smaller ones, you know? Well, see, I'm going to take kind of devil's advocate to both of you here. I don't think eBay gives crap about, well, A, what any of us think, but B, look, well, yeah, they get course. paid per transaction, <laughs> right? Really? They, they, they get paid right. per transaction. In their way, sure. they're winning. They So all of these people that are importing from China, all of these drop ship companies and everybody yeah. that, look, they get paid every time something sells on their platform. They're making billions of dollars for of it. And if it's shut down tomorrow, they're still going to walk away billionaires from it as far as the comp the people that own this stuff. So so from them, it's a win. It's a it's it's like asking, we were just talking about General Motors. It's like General uh, trying to ask General Motors about some startup over here trying to make right uh you know electric well, no, wheel actually, engines or you're something wrong. like that you're you're no, wrong whatever i'm not wrong because but they what switched they do, their logo because they're scared so oh dear god man they're wrong. Here, the, here's the point the point is is i think i do agree with you however that ebay ultimately if this stuff like poshmark like you know stock stock x and this kind of stuff get to a certain point a certain revenue point then a company like an amazon like an ebay or whatever will acquire them and pull them up as far as them going ipo we keep going through look in the mid 90s and late 90s we did this right this um uh, trend of IPOs and technology, right? And we when I was in elementary a, school, yeah. Well, continue. okay, again, while you were in elementary school, so you don't That's know, right. I'm telling you that yeah. we, in the mid and late 90s, went th we went through a tech bubble where every company that. Yep. that was tech-related went into IPO, raised millions of dollars, right, or whatever, and then the bubble burst because half of them that were going IPO were, were garbage companies. They didn't actually provide a service. They didn't, pro you know what I mean? And, and then People the bubble burst 
giving stuff away left and right. I remember those mm-hmm. days, like you could just go online and like, you know, put your email in and they'd send you like a first aid kit, a t-shirt. I mean, it was crazy. I think there was so much investment by people that, you know, wanted to get on the tech mm-hmm. wave, right? Uh, and they had so much money, they were giving shit away left and right. Because <laughs> that was the hot item, right? Tech, anything tech, buy right. it because it'll make right. you a millionaire. And it just didn't have been the case. I think we're going through another one of those right now with ideas. Danny and I, you and I have talked about it on this podcast before about I don't know how some companies, especially these new companies going IPO, how they get these evaluations. Like that, you know, the valuation, Nicola, whatever (laughs) valuation. The point is, is how does a company that has yet to develop a product have a valuation of hundreds of millions of dollars? Right. It's insane to me. So, again, it goes back to in stock market. What do we how do we rate companies and how do we whatever? And you get into these fundamentals of the stock market. This is really boring Mm -hmm. to talk about, which is why I only invest in companies that that have fundamentals in the stock market because these companies like this, just because they have an eva- this IPO in Poshmark, for example, could come up with an evaluation and just say, well, well we're a billion dollar company and we're going IPO. And then six months mm-hmm. from now, you find out that they're bleeding money, right? And then all of a sudden yeah. their stock is worth zero dollars. And the people that sold you in the stock of, in the first place, the, the creators of stock mark, walk away as millionaires and you are what we call in the stock industry a bag holder. Because you're holding <laughs> a bag full of stock that, you know what I mean, is worth nothing, right? Yeah. And that yeah. that's my issue. That's my issue with these niche IPOs. Well, the thing that I, that I actually might be concerned with with like a, a Poshmark or something like that is that if uh, you know a sexier model comes along and you know because they don't have control over their inventory right right um, that's people like me who are out like buying too much stuff and then we're like okay you know I was holding this in the closet in hopes that I could fit into it but it still has the tags on it I'll yeah I'll sell it right mm-hmm. um, but if somebody else comes along or if some trends change, they're not going to be able to serve that market in the same way. So, like, I really look at that and I say, okay, what do they have? They just have like a, uh, you know, an e-commerce model. This is how they sell, but they don't really have a lot of control over the business because it's people like me. It's just a marketplace, you know? Right. Yeah, they're they're relying on a market. They're relying on the marketplace to continue to provide them with goods. Right. And, like, you know, I, I don't know if I'm 100% correct, but I know StockX is actually sponsored or they, they do something along the lines of various sneaker conventions. Mm-hmm. And I do think that companies like Poshmark, they could, you know, bounce into a kind of pop-up shop type experience where that it could speed along the process a little bit of bringing new goods in and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the downside of extreme niche, right? There's niche and then there's extreme niche is both of what you said is correct. But then you add on top of that, that we're high end sneakers, right? High end clothing and stuff like that. Look, these are both products that when the economy tanks, when people aren't working, when disposable income goes down a rabbit hole, they disappear. Mm -hmm. Nobody's buying $1,000 sneakers if you can't feed yourself, right? Nobody's buying Mm -hmm. $2,000 dresses when you can't feed yourself. These are all high. Look, 
I went to the doctor yesterday for my annual physical, talking to my doctor, and we were talking about last year and how his practice was doing, right? And he said, look, June or July last year, he's like, before Dos Equis came along, I was looking at hiring another doctor, growing the business, whatever, and mm-hmm. then Dos Equis comes along, June or July, he's like, I almost had to let go of some of my employees, because nobody was yeah. walking into the office, right? And that that's medical that everybody needs. Yeah. Now you sure. add that yeah. on to something like this. And again, we may, we did a, a podcast about a, a Wayne Gretzky card that sold for millions of dollars. Any of this memorabilia stuff, comic books, I put this kind of stuff in that same kind of category because it's not a need. It's a really, really nice thing that if I have disposable mm-hmm. income, it sure. makes sense and you can make uh, the markups are massive, right? It doesn't cost any more mm-hmm. for Louis Vuitton to make that purse than it does another purse maker to make uh, it. That's you know, not right. true. Not well, completely I mean, but, true. But, I'm but exaggerating. So you're paying but, a premium that's yes. well beyond what the difference in the cost of the, the goods are. Yeah. The markup I mean, is, is, is much bigger, right? Yeah, so yeah. But speak that, for yeah, yourself. That, speak for yourself. In the middle of 2020's Pandy, I went out there and I bought there was four pieces in my watch collection that was missing and I not missing. I just wanted them. And so after having getting let go, like, uh, you know, whatever, like, you know, my job stopped existing. I went out there and bought them because, you know, I was like, well, if we're all going down, I'm going to finally buy this thing that I wanted. So, which is why we don't listen to look good. That's right. That's why we don't listen to any investment tips from Danny over here. Right. Untrue. My portfolio has been doing fantastic over the last year. So, okay. Yes. Yes. For you and up yours. Uh, (laughs) That's the way it is. Yep. Yep. So, um, Miss Terry, is there anything else that, uh, now that you've witnessed all what is our insanity and that kind of stuff, are there any questions that we haven't answered? If there's, is there anything of your, you know, your products that you would like to talk about any of that kind of stuff? Where can people find you on the internet? Yeah. The so people can find me on the interwebs at harrybmcdougal.com. That's my website. And they can get in touch with me through that. I'm also on LinkedIn, and my handle is Terry B. McDougal. My book, Winning the Game of Work, is available on Amazon, worldwide, on Barnes and Noble, Noble, Hobo. Um, and then my new podcast is called Marketing Mambo, and it's uh, it's got its own website, marketingmambo.net, and there all of the different platforms are there that, that you can subscribe to it on. Awesome. Danny will put all those links in the, you know, in the video. He'll put all the stuff down below. Of course I will. Awesome. I do my job, unlike other people on this podcast (laughs) who aren't named Terry. So, so sad. So sad. So sad. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I hope you look back on this and don't regret the choices that you've made. (laughs) (laughs) You guys, I really liked it. It was was fun. I like mixing it up with you guys. Awesome. Yeah, very fun. Cool. Well, we appreciate you. We really do. And we will put all those links in down below and that kind of stuff. And if we can ever do anything for you at all, uh, not that Danny could, but I would be happy to, um, you know, do anything that I could for you. Um, So, you know, definitely contact me, not Danny, if you need anything done. That's all. Uh, Okay. Thank you so much, you guys. So for Idiots versus Idiots, this is Danny signing off, reminding you uh, with enough velocity, any restaurant can be a drive-thru. You are such an idiot. Yeah, I know. Hi, <laughs> guys. Idiots versus Idiots is brought to you by Rise Lentless. Rise Lentless is my merch for Hustler's brand. If you're out there on the grind, 
working in your home office, you're going to want one of these mugs. Now, if you go to R-I-S-E-L-E-N-T-L-E-S-S.com and buy one of these mugs, you're going to be directly supporting me, not Big Man, because, you know, screw Big Man. 